This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Glenn Geek, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November the 1st, 2018. The first Thursday of the month is the driving episode, and normally Wendy is here helping me out. However, she was called in to teach classes at the Chi Institute here in Ocala this week. She's actually staying here at HRN headquarters. Unfortunately, she has to be at the Institute early in the morning, so she cannot help out with the show today. So we picked out a few segments for you from the past that we think you'll enjoy and most of you have not heard. We're going to start out with a couple of unusual interviews for you. The first is from Team Snazzy Goat, who joined us to talk about driving cashmere goats. And then Dallas Johnson on ski joring with dogs. Then keeping with the dog theme, Dr. Wendy talks about cooking for your dogs. And Dr. Doug English from Turmeric Life speaks about the benefits of turmeric. A reminder that next week's Horses in the Morning live show will start at 10 o'clock instead of 9. We're changing the time from now on, so we'll be starting at 10 a.m. Eastern and going to about 11, 11.30 Eastern, and that'll start on Monday, the 5th of November. Dr. Wendy will be back co-hosting the 12-hour Holiday Radiothon on November 26th and a new driving episode next month. See you back tomorrow here with another brand new episode of Horses in the Morning with Jamie, Jen, and myself. And get your entries in for really bad ads. Send them to jennifer at horseradionetwork.com or record them yourself and send them along. We appreciate all the entries we get every week. And now we get to talk about goats. Yay, goats. Well, I'm really excited about our next guest. We have Mika Ingerman coming up with her goats, Harry and David. And they are Team Snazzy Goat. And Mika's going to tell us all about how she's training these adorable little goaties to drive. Well, hey, Mika, welcome to the Driving Radio Show. Thank you. Well, we're so excited to have you on because I talk a lot about wanting to drive goats, but I never actually did it. And then when your picture of your beautiful pair of goats came on up on my Facebook feed, I knew I had to talk to you. So tell us a little bit about Team Snazzy Goat. Well, Team Snazzy Goat is um, myself and my mother, who's a photographer, and Mm -hmm. then my two cashmere goats, who I drive. And what, what are their names? Their names are Harry to Happiness and David Delivers. <laughs> I named them after Harry and David. Are you re- relatives with Harry and David? or No. Okay. No, actually, when I was going to get a team, I made a big list of names that um, included everything from Rogers and Hammerstein to Harry and David. And I just went down the list and after I got them and thought, what would fit? And it settled on Harry and David. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. Um, and so how, tell us how you got into driving goats. Well, I've been driving uh, miniature horses in American Shetlands since I was eight years old. And mm-hmm. I, I, I used to live in California. 
And after I moved to Vermont, I did a little bit of work with other people's horses, and I did some training and some exercising and a little bit of clinic work. Um, and I really wanted something of my own. And mm-hmm. I looked around and was thinking, well, I could get a miniature horse. And then I was just sort of curious about different animals that were used for polling. And so I looked into dogs and Swiss mountain dogs and different kinds of draft dogs. And I was doing research on different draft animals on the internet. And I came across some really old black and white photos of goats pulling carts. And I, uh, I spin and I knit as a hobby on the side. And I thought, Oh my goodness, here's an animal that can produce fiber that can pull Mm -hmm. a cart. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) And that's so, why you went with cashmere goats? That's why I went with cashmere goats, yes. And is cashmere and wool all from goats? What was that? Is cashmere all come from goats, or are there cashmere sheep, too? Is that a dumb question? I don't know. but I don't there's know. Well, it's a good question, actually, okay. because there are angora goats and there are cashmere goats. But what makes things very confusing is that there's also angora rabbits, and then there are angora cats. Um, but cashmere goats are just, cashmere goats and all cashmere comes from them oh i learned something new today wendy (laughs) does it only come from their tummies doesn't the the best fur come from their tummies yeah the softest fur comes from sort of their their barrel area um Mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of a uh, we call it down the cashmere goat people call it down instead of Mm -hmm. wool but it's their soft undercoat and do you um do you show these goats too at the at the breed shows Yes. Yeah. The Cashmere Goat Association has an Eastern show in Tunbridge, Vermont, and we go there every year and show. Now I know why cashmere is so expensive. If you're only shaving the bottom of a goat, uh, it's going to take a lot of shavings of goats to make a cashmere (laughs) sweater. So now I know why it's so expensive. Yeah. It's four goats to a sweater. Is it really? On average. Yeah. Oh, that's so And cool. think of how long it must take to clean it, because if I know, how, if your goats are anything like my goats, <laughs> they love to just roll around in the dirt. Yeah, they they roll, they get their food in it. <laughs> so are so. you the only one that, that drives goats at the goat show, or are there goat driving classes? Um, there are no goat driving classes yet. I'm the only one that is driving right now. Well, you get a blue I- ribbon every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there are. We used to be the only weathers there. Interestingly enough, um, mm-hmm. and for non-goat people, that's a castrated male goat. Um, what are they called? Weathers. Weathers. Weathers like the weather. <laughs> yeah, like weather, but without the H. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a goat gelding. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> um, There's a term we can get here over here at the less, driving radio they're, show. They're not so stinky. That's why. They, yeah, no, they're not. They're not stinky, but. <laughs> I got to tell you, when I was looking at your website, by the way, you have a terrific website if anybody's interested in driving a goat. It has everything on it. Team, Snaz- Team Snazzy Goat, just Google that. But you even go into the harness, and I was shocked. I mean, I was expecting some simple little harness. They have the same harnesses we have for horses. They have pleasure harnesses, show harnesses, light draft harnesses, and draft harnesses with collars. I mean, they're the <laughs> yeah. same. They look exactly the same. The breaching, everything. <laughs> yeah, and the more old pictures that I found, um, I, I've done tons of research into like old postcards and just any depictions of harness goats from back when they were pretty popular. Um, and they have their harnesses just run the spectrum of harnesses for horses too. 
<laughs> they have cruppers. I mean, they have cruppers. They have everything. And by the, the way, cruppers, these are they beds, blinkers. Yeah. These are great. These are the best diagrams I've seen of harnesses, and they're on goats. I know. I know. <laughs> Thank you. I need to share these because it's the same thing for. And I think if you look at those, uh, Wendy, I think all the names are the same. I mean, everything's yeah, pretty are. much the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, when I was going through your webpage, I thought, "Wow, it's so informative." And it, yeah, it well, is. Everything's pretty much the same as the the horse harness. Now, yeah, my goal is to sort of present the information in a similar way and to try to create everything that there is as far as resources for goat driving that you would find for horse driving or, or mini driving. And there's a lot of um, a crossover, too. Like a lot of the harnesses and the equipment for miniature horses fits goats perfectly. That's true. And apparently the yeah. gates do, too, because according to this, they have walk, trot, and canter. They certainly do. Yes, they walk, <laughs> trot, canter, and gallop. <laughs> <laughs> And out of is out of control. One of those gates too, just wild, uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, and and also they do the same little, you know, the little like squat spook that horses do sometimes, where they kind of skedaddle yeah. out in all directions, <laughs> especially on pavement. Skedaddle. It's a new. It's a new gate. We have to add that to the list. Right. The, the skedaddle. They do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what they do a lot that horses don't do that often? Is they just like to jump straight up in the air and then run away really fast. And horses will do that in the field, but they don't do it all the time, you know, as much as my goats do. Your goats but, do that a little, sort of like a little jump and then they, and then they run? Yeah, and then they headbutt each other. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, okay, Wendy, ask the question you ask every single time we have somebody oh, yeah. that drives an alternative animal. How do you steer them? How do you steer it? Well, just like you steer a horse. Don't say, you tell them to go G and ha, because we've already decided (laughs) our animals don't listen to us anyways. We need bits and reins. So do you use bits and reins on the horses? Yes. Yeah. Harry and David wear an uh, egg butt French French link snap. What, about a size three inch? Uh, I think three and a half. Where do you find those? At the mini store. At the goat tack shop? Horsetacco.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. They uh, they know somebody. I think they work with somebody that manufactures them. I know mine took a little while to get um, to my house when I ordered them because they were being made, especially. Do you want to hear something really ironic? Is yeah. years, this before they were Horsetacco.com, uh, they years ago, it's gone through a couple iterations now, were the ones that bought the Horse Stuff Company, which was my wife and I's company back in the 1990s. Oh, really? And now it's it's morphed into that, you know, this after a couple sales along the way. But yeah, so it's, there's a small world for you, huh? Yeah. Small world. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's not a lot of places that sell tiny little bits. Uh, yeah, no, they are hard to come by. And it was really hard finding French link uh, bits that did not have copper in them. How did the training oh, yeah. go? You can't in the have beginning? copper because they'll get sick. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor. Baby goes. And is that and how did the training go in the beginning? Was that kind of a circus? It was a little bit of a circus. Yeah, when I got them, they had not been halter broken. Um, they, I think, they'd been tied a little bit, but they were pretty raw, and they were pretty young too, and so they had very short attention spans. Um, so I just had to start right from the ground up and just, you know, teach them about ropes and teach them about wearing a halter and about not balking and we went on a lot of walks <laughs> oh my god are they are they brothers they are twins 
Oh, they're twins. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. So, you, so they were the same age. I was going to say, they look exactly alike. Now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, people ask me a lot. They're like, what are they, are twins? Are you sure? <laughs> what, yeah, is the, they, um, what does the person that you bought them from think about you driving the goats? I bought them from a, a convent, actually, an Anglican convent in New York that raises cashmere goats. Uh-huh. And okay, this story couldn't get any wilder. I know. It's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> well, okay, here's here's the sort of bizarre story behind it all. Is um, I really wanted cashmere goats because I was thinking, well, I could get angora goats, but their wool is not as fine. And mm-hmm. so I was looking around and doing research to try to find who breeds cashmere goats near Vermont. And all of a sudden, I discovered that that year, for the first time, they were going to have a cashmere goat show at the Vermont Sheep and Wool Festival. And I went down, and I was looking at all the goats, and there were these pens of goats that were bigger and, in my opinion, more beautiful than a lot of the other ones. And I was like, well, whose goats are these? And they had this little poster <laughs> with these sisters in their habits taking these goats for a walk through a field. Oh, my like, God. Ideal I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so bizarre. Um, but, yes, the lady who is in charge of the goats at the convent is named uh, Sister Mary Elizabeth. And she's been very, very supportive of the whole thing. Um, they must be. They must be so proud well. of you. <laughs> because you know with your goats you never know I mean little boy goats don't always have a very long and or happy life so yeah. they must be so happy that these boys are out doing something exciting and yeah. are well loved <laughs> yeah, they're living out their days being useful <laughs> now how long was it I assume that the process was you, you worked with them on the ground and then you probably ground drove them just like we do the horses right Yes. And then how long was it from the time you started working with them till you had them in a cart? Well, I did, I didn't um, bit them until they were two because I just wanted them to. Oh, you got them as babies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got them when they were, I believe, three months old. Yeah. They they were little guys. (laughs) (laughs) They were just weaned. And so, yeah, we did tons and tons of groundwork and. Um, just lots of leading them around. And then I sort of set up a little rig that was sort of a Sir Single Cavathon kind of thing that they were still too small to wear miniature horse tacks. So I had to sort of improvise with rope. Um, and then I hooked them up to little pieces of wood and dragged noisy things behind them for a while. And then finally, when they were two, they got to wear their, their grown up harnesses and their bits. And then we put them in front of the little garden cart that we had. <laughs> had you driven the horses before? I was going to say, you sound like you know what you're doing. So See, she, drove, right. yeah. she drove minis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I drove minis and ponies for, gosh, years and years oh, okay. and years. You and sounded like you knew what here, you were doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. after I came to Vermont uh, from California, I worked a little bit with Morgans and draft horses and mules and more miniature horses. and Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've so, driven things with interesting temperaments, too. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the difference between training a goat and training the training a pony. What what's well, the hardest part? The goats were easier. The biggest, <laughs> <laughs> the biggest difference is that a pony, when it gets upset, it's it's most likely going to run. They'll mm-hmm. spook. And goats, when they don't like something, when something's new, they stop. Yeah, and they want to think about it. That's good. And, 
So they're, they're a lot like mules that way where they're, you know, they'll go and they'll do things that are new and, and that are difficult for them, but they really, if anything is any little bit suspicious to them, they will just stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and how do you how do you get them over that if they just decide they're not going? Do you have to get out of the carriage and lead them? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I've had to like lead them up to things or let them investigate it. Uh, it can be a bad habit. They can decide that they're just going to stop no matter what um, and sort of do a, a fake spook, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and David definitely struggled with that for a while. And basically the only thing um, in those situations is to just keep them moving and just make sure, even if you're going in circles or backing up or, you know, we did a lot of backing up for a while because David would just stop out of, you know, clear blue sky and decide that he wasn't going to go and he wouldn't go forwards. He wouldn't go to the side. So we backed up. <laughs> and then That's they learned that that, that doesn't get them what they want. So, <laughs> so, so I'm reading here that, uh, in your fun facts on your website, which is, uh, uh-huh. just, just search for team snazzy goat. You'll find it. Are you a team snazzy goat on Facebook too? Yes. Okay. And it says a fit goat can pull one and a half times its weight for about 10 miles uh, without showing signs of fatigue. So wow. really two goats could pull one average size person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, every goat is different. They're like horses. There's tons of different breeds and tons of different weights and, and different amounts of bone as well. Um, meat goats have a lot more bone than dairy goats. And so they're a lot more, I, I compare them to warm bloods or draft horses. Uh, depending on the breed. And then dairy goats are very fine-boned, and so they're a little bit more delicate. Um, but the uh, cashmere goats are pretty stocky, and they Harry and David are about 200 each, a little more than 200. Wow, really? Wow, they're that big? I didn't yeah. realize they were that big. Yeah, they're big guys. <laughs> wow. So technically, if your thing is right here, they could pull 500 pounds between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, five or six, yeah. And, you know, they, but a lot of people don't realize, everybody thinks, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we used to go up and do the tours of the coal mines. And, uh-huh. you know, they, they did use minis and, and smaller donkeys and things to pull the, the coal cars on the rails, but what they also used were goats. Yes. Yeah. yeah they were used yeah, in the mining. Yeah, they were used in mining. They were easier to take care of. They had the waste wasn't as big, you know, the poop and all that stuff oh, they had to deal yeah, with right. in the mines because they never came That's out of true. the mines. They would keep and it doesn't them in there. smell like anything. It's just goat poop. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was. I think they hooked them up for when they were pulling the mine cars. And you don't have to bring any food up there for them because they'll just eat whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they can they can browse outside. Yeah, the I love when people ask me like, "Oh, what should I feed my goat?" I'm like, nothing. Whatever they'll it'll, eat, they'll it'll eat everything it can get. <laughs> Whatever you have left yeah. over from the kitchen, they'll eat. Uh, True. Pretty much. The weathers you have to be a little bit careful with because they are prone to getting uh, crystals in in their uh, urine, and so uh, my boys don't have any grain. They eat all hay and then a little bit of salt. Do they eat lettuce and things like that? Is that good for them? Or they can, but I mean, I don't think it's very wise to play too much with their diet if yeah. you have a, an older weather. Um, but yeah, that's they've evolved to eat 
you know, they, they, they're supposed to eat leaves and grass and... Yeah, yeah, grass and, and, you know, the odd weeds and stuff. And certainly a little piece of lettuce is a treat and stuff isn't going to hurt anything. But, you know, if you're like, well, they're going to eat lettuce this day and the next day they're going to have chard and the day after that I'm going to give them some kale and then they're going to eat cabbages and, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you're just training them to eat your garden. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'll well, get in there no matter what, but don't train them to do it. Now, so what? what's the goal here with your goats? Do you have a goal or are you just having fun? Um, a lot of it is having fun. My goal is to inspire other people to do it. That's my biggest goal. Is to just well, I think that's that, a great goal because I think you've already inspired me to actually do it. I've always wanted to, but I never knew how. So she's just got to wrangle those two goats out in the front <laughs> yard there. <laughs> what kind of goats do you have? They're uh, Nigerian dwarfs. Oh, little guys. Well, it's good you're yeah. little, Wendy. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I need, I need six of them. <laughs> well, I think they're very cute. And the nice thing is they have horns. So anything that gets in their way, they can just headbutt it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no problem. This is so cool. I think it's a great thing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you can check out our website. I encourage you to do that. Just uh, search for Team Snazzy Goat on Facebook or on Google, and you'll find them. And you can find all the pictures. And if you want to learn anything about driving goats, it's all on our website. How to trim them, their gates, harnesses, uh, all the, the coat, uh, all the different things about goats. I do have a question. When you do clip them, do, is that once a year or twice a year? Uh, the hooves or the coats? The coats. Uh, I don't actually clip them. They shed out naturally in the springtime, and you just have to kind of follow them around and, and catch. Oh, really? As it falls. Is yeah. that how you oh, do that. it? Oh, wow. See, look, the sweater's getting even more difficult. <laughs> yes, anyway, no one's so damn expensive. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I was going to ask you if you shave the whole goat or just the belly. Now I know you don't even do that. You just follow yeah. them around with a, with a sieve underneath. Yeah, yeah. you can shave them, but you get a lot of really, like, scratchy hair in it that you have to pick out later. So we use a shedding blade and, and just scrape them and just keep scraping them until... <laughs> God, making off. our own clothes in the 17 and 1800s was a pain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we have... I'm glad we have factories now in China that just ship them over because... Oh, great, uh, I, I couldn't, I so couldn't make my own... Incorrect. I'd be naked. I couldn't make my own clothes. I couldn't have the patience to follow my goats around. <laughs> <laughs> It takes it takes dedication, but you know it's. I, I think it's worth it. You, you get a beautiful product that you, you know where it came from. <laughs> well, thanks a bunch for joining us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, well, thank you so much too. You know, Wendy, we have been doing this show for a long time, and the one thing that has been a constant is the support of the American Driving Society. If you are a driver of any kind, you should consider becoming a member of the ADS. Membership gets you a subscription to their glossy magazine, The Whip, featuring all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. All the news from the ADS delivered right to your inbox via the ADS email blasts and also their digital newsletter, The Wheel Horse. In addition, you get online access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers. Online access to the Omnibus is also included, which is a comprehensive guide to upcoming carriage competitions. And you'll be eligible for their rich recognition programs, including the ADS Youth Championships and Hours to Drive, along with the new ADS Driven Dressage Awards. Plus so much more, and just for a few dollars a month. You can find it all at American Driving Society. Society.org. That's American Driving Society.org.
Next up, we wanted to go with the theme of uh, things that are different to drive, and we thought dogs would be the place we would go next, and that's ski-joring with dogs, and we have Dallas Johnson coming on, and he has actually traveled to Germany and gone all over the world ski-joring with his dog. Let's find out how that works. Well, hi, Dallas. Welcome to the Driving Radio Show. Good morning. Nice to meet you. It's so good to have you on. You know, we today on the show, we're talking about uh, different things, uh, you know, goats and dogs and all kinds of different stuff. And we've talked about ski-joring before, but I don't think we've quite talked about it in the way that you refer to it. You don't use horses, do you? No, no, we race with dogs. We use dogs, but it's very similar otherwise. So do the dogs actually do the pulling? Do they pull? We like to think that they do, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't get any easier. You just go faster. So as a Nordic skier, uh, that's, it's really more of a speed assist than it is a, they don't do the pulling for us. And are you using one or two or? There are different classes. And, uh, you know, we're really, we're a, we're a segment of sled dog racing primarily. That's the, that's the tribe that we normally hang out with. And so you have the, you have the sled dog racers, and they might have as many as 12 dogs where that's just somebody hanging onto a sled for dear life. And they, they move down into smaller groups of dogs, six dogs, three dogs. And then you get the two dogs or one dog, and that's where you start having skiers. So there's basically two-dog class and one-dog class when you're doing skijor racing. And that's how you say it? Have I been saying it wrong all these years? Skijor? Is that how you say it? Skijor, skijor, it's it's all it's all pretty similar. The uh, the Norwegians and the Swedes, it's skijor. Okay. <laughs> and, and are you using mostly like uh, huskies? What are you using? Uh, you know, the dog breeds uh, can vary quite a bit. A sled dog is any dog that's been bred for for pulling, and. They're very rarely purebreds. Everyone thinks of a traditional Siberian husky, which which are great pulling dogs, uh, but they're those are those dogs are more strong and durable. They're not particularly fast. And if you're doing a long distance race like the Iditarod, those dogs tend to look they tend to look you know quite a bit like Siberian huskies and have a lot of that in their breeding. Uh, but as you get more to the the speed end of the sport, shorter and faster racing, then you you see dogs which are more like my dog Comet, and they're a mix of very often uh, horse hunting dogs or gun dogs that were originally bred for for going out uh, you know hunting with with horse groups. So they can they can run pretty fast and they can run good distances, but. Uh, my dog, I like to tell people that she's primarily an English pointer with a uh, Siberian Husky brain and greyhound muscles. I was just going to say, because <laughs> we have, we've had greyhounds over the years. We've uh, rescued greyhounds for years. And when I look at Comet in the picture, there's a little, there's definitely some greyhound in there. Yeah. 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 They, they're, 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 she's referred to as a Eurohound by some people, meaning that that's, there's a breed very popular in, in Europe and the Scandinavian countries where they're, they're mixed for sled dog racing. You, know, you might call them an Alaskan Husky if they look like an Iditarod dog or look quite a bit like a Siberian Husky. But when they start to look like hunting dogs, then they call them Eurohounds. 
That's interesting because ours, uh, the one we have now, was actually found as a stray in the woods of Kentucky. And in, in Kentucky, they breed the greyhounds with the hunting dogs to make faster hunting dogs. And, you know, we figure she got loose from one of the camps or whatever. But, uh, well, yeah. Um, dogs that are good at pulling and running, they, they tend to very often run away. Right. <laughs> 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 you find them in you find them in the pounds once in a while, yes. Well, that's why they say with uh, that's why we sign a contract when you rescue a greyhound, they have to keep them on a leash because they're not trustworthy. Uh, they will chase whatever <laughs> comes in their path. Right. <laughs> so, yep, yep. Okay, that, this is my question. I have a question. I always have a question about this when we talk about driving dogs. How do you steer them? Verbal commands, and you know, I don't. I, I've been around horses. I live in a horse neighborhood, but I don't, I'm not a big horse expert. But they, you know, we use we use the standard commands of G and Ha, and mm-hmm. and Wo, and uh, and Hike is uh, you know Hike means go, Wo means stop or slow down, G right, Ha left, and and that's the and, and the dogs the dogs tend to learn that they they uh, they're trainable, mm-hmm. and, and the more you work with your dog, the more they they become accustomed to it. So the dogs speak horse. Apparently. <laughs> yes. Yep, they do very much. And those those commands are, are typically worldwide to a large extent. I mean anywhere when I raced in Europe last year you'd you'd hear the same commands, no matter what the language is that the person was speaking. And there you go. There's something that I didn't know is that you told me that you actually raced in Europe last year in Germany at the Sled Dog World Championships, and I didn't even know there was one of those. So tell us what that's like. Well, it was it was it was fun. The uh, you know in 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 Europe, especially the Scandinavian countries, uh, Skajorza is a is a well known sport. Uh, it's it's part of it's part of the culture. It Skajor is a Scandinavian term. And uh, they, they originally started out skajoring behind reindeer. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, and they still there's still a couple races where they do that. If you go onto YouTube, you can find some reindeer skajoring, which looks incredibly insane. And and then from there, you you know you, you start to see skajoring behind horses or livestock or or dogs. It's eventually grown into. But you know, of course, the the dogs are easy to work with. Uh, many people, you know, they have dogs. And the nice thing is any, anyone who has a dog that's 30 pounds or more, you can go out skiing with that dog. And, and if it wants to, if it likes to tug at its leash and pull, it's, it's going to work out for you as a skijoring dog. So in Europe uh-huh. where Nordic skiing is, is far more common than it is in the U S uh, skijoring is a, is a really fairly popular sport and it's, you go to the you know you go to the uh, the world championships there they're in the they're held there and alternating between typically Alaska and some place in Europe very often the Scandinavian countries mm-hmm. and there it's a it's covered by the newspapers it's a fairly big uh, fairly big event there's thousands of people who come there and they pay to attend and watch it and it's it's a good show. What's your course like? Is it um is it a endurance course or is it a short fast course? When I was there racing in my class, we had mm-hmm. a team of five people from the U.S. who traveled over there. There's male and female classes, and mm-hmm. there was a 15 kilometer, so 10 mile individual 
pursuit, which is mm-hmm. basically a time trial. You, you start and you just race by yourself. And then we also had a relay race that we, the first, the first lap is a mass start one dog race of eight kilometers. So about five miles. And then you tag off with a sled dog team that has three dogs mm-hmm. and then the sled dog team races. And then they tag off with a skier who has two dogs and then they, they finish with the two dogs and that's the finish of the relay race. And that's a big fan favorite. Oh, that sounds fun. And most of our races are 10 kilometers or five kilometers. It depends on the, on the place that we're at. And how did you get into this? Did you have the dog first or did you always do this and you pick certain dogs that are going to excel? Well, my, I, I had young kids at the time and we were, at, we were at a point in our life where we were looking for a new dog for the family. Mm-hmm. And I had been at a winter, winter festival that we have here in the Twin Cities called the City of Lakes Loppet. And there's all sorts of different winter events and a big ski race. And it all takes place in downtown Minneapolis. And it's a, it's a huge event. And I was there with the kids. They were doing some Nordic racing. And I was, I was very much out of shape at the time. I was, I was, I was overweight by a, by a fair amount. And I, I, was, I was at that middle age, not, not getting any younger part of your life that happens sometimes. <laughs> and doctor was I don't know anything about what you're talking about. You know, I was getting a lot of warnings about diabetes and, uh, you know, heart issues and my back and my knees were going out, all this stuff that that starts to happen. And and I had been pretty active when I was younger, but it was getting harder and harder to do that. And I saw, you know, I, I wasn't ski racing anymore. And I saw the dog racing that they had at the city of Lake Slop. It was a large skajor race that takes place right with the, right downtown on one of the lakes. And the skylines in the background, there's thousands of people out there oh, cool. milling about for the different winter events. And they're all watching the dog races. And I thought, this is the best idea in the world. I can go ski racing and I don't have to pull. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> and so I, 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 I phoned around to some people who are at the race. And, and I found a uh, one of the Alaskan breeders had moved down to the lower 48 states just recently and had a litter. And I called them and I found out that, you know, my traditional idea of sled dogs for Siberian Huskies, which don't always make good family dogs, they tend to have a mind of their own and they, you know, mm-hmm. they, they like to run away and, and that. But I, and I talked to them and I found out, you know, this is, this is based, these dogs that I, we ended up purchasing, like Comet, they're, they're basically a hunting dog. They got all this great hunting dog attributes that, that people like to have and yet they like to pull and they can run. And so I thought, hey, make a great family dog. So so we ended up, I, I called up the breeder and I said, oh, I'd like one, but I want your lowest energy dog that's <laughs> least likely to be a highly strong race dog. And, and the breeder said, gee, I think I can reserve that one for you. No problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody wanted <laughs> no, that one. <laughs> so no surprise. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we got this puppy and the kids are having a great time with her and bought a harness and you know, the first year I showed up to start racing, I'm 230 pounds something. And after the dog was a year old, old enough to start racing, I did a race and we had a great time. And 
uh, I learned very quickly though that uh, two things. One, I, I, I absolutely loved it, and uh, the dog more than loved it. It was just, you know, it was obvious how much she enjoyed being out there with other dogs and running and getting to go out every day and, and exercise and go for a run and go for a ski. And then I also learned that this game is largely a power to weight ratio game. And the same way that in horse racing, you need a lightweight jockey. Skijoria, being a lightweight skier helps. And that was that along with all the skiing and the dog coming to my, coming to my bed every morning and saying, come on, let's go out for a run. Uh, really got me back to exercising and, 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 and the motivation to, to uh, change my diet and do a, and do a lot of things to make myself healthier, and I started losing weight, and I was able to scrub off about eighty pounds. I was going to say, eventually. I was looking wow. at your picture, and you're thin now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it took it took a year, uh, a little bit more than a year actually, but we were, you know ended up getting the weight down there, which which helped quite a bit with with racing, and you know it all started to roll after a while, and so we got we got very excited about it, and then. The funny thing that happened was that I was spending so much time running with the dog and training with her that she she really turned into an exceptional racing dog. She's she's a little bit smaller. She's made to be in a she's intended to be a in a big twelve dog team. If you think like a, a Ferrari engine, she'd be a, a small cylinder in a twelve cylinder Ferrari engine. Uh, but she, you know, in Skajor it's very often one or two very big dogs. But she uh, she loves the racing. She's very motivated, and because of that, she she does pretty well. I and and she really motivated me to do my best to to keep up with her. So we we got into it. And we just got more competitive and more got more competitive at it, and started working hard at it, and got some got some results that are a little bit better than maybe we deserved. But we'll take them. <laughs> I need to start so, going out running with my dog, Wendy. I know. Your dog is a sprinter, though. I she know. See, tired. that's the thing I'd be done in one minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, the first time I went out running with her, I, I made I was a typical runner. I made a quarter. I don't think I even made it a quarter mile before I had to stop and walk. I was I was very much out of shape. And, you know, now I'm now I'm out running marathons and it's, you know, I, I owe her a huge debt. She's Can a I big part of my just- life. Because most of our listeners, a lot of our listeners, come into driving uh, carriages when they're in their 40s and 50s. Can I ask what age you are? Uh, I was 45 when I started racing. I'm seriously, and I'm 50 now. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm not a young person. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it. You're about the same age as everybody that you know is listening to the show today, on average. So. Yeah. Wendy, well, you we, need we bigger dogs, is what I've determined uh, to pull. You know, because no, she she has Jack, Jack Russells. Russell. <laughs> yeah, my little Jack Russell could pull me. She's crazy. <laughs> That's true. She could. <laughs> I have, I have a friend who has a Jack Russell. She uses it for horse hunting all the time. But in the winter, she goes mm-hmm. out skijoring with it. And that I tell you that the Jack Russells are pretty uh, pretty motivated dogs. That's about the only <laughs> darn way you're going to wear them down too is to take them out oh, for about twelve hours in the cold. I'll be dead by the time. <laughs> She gets tired. Well, that that dog will run and run and run until she has to pick it up and put it in her backpack and ski back. But it's, that's uh, true. You know, <laughs> Jack. Well, anyone anyone who does horse hunting, they, they've been around Jack Russell. They know they're very motivated dogs. Yeah. So, so, but, so you know, what happens if you me, when you wipe out if you're doing this gajoring? <laughs> yeah, it's been known to happen. Um, I'm 
I'm a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie, so I I enjoy the you know, the dog, and I have a contest to see who can who can flinch first. Yeah, uh, going into corners and things like that, and that's just that's been an advantage for us. We like the we love going <laughs> fast. We love a mass start race. We like tight corners and icy corners. It's both of us enjoy that. And when you when you do a mat, we have we have mass start races where you start as a group. And then you have pursuit races where you start, everybody starts at 30 second intervals mm-hmm. and Comet is very much a mass start dog. She loves the tactics. She loves oh, diving in the corners and, and she has a very good instinct for not getting tangled up with other horses or with other dogs and things like that. So she's, um, she really enjoys that part. Uh, you know, it, for the most part we're under, you know, we're under 30 miles an hour, so you don't have to worry much about truly getting injured yeah, uh, the worst you know, the worst thing that can happen is if she's you know, she's she's running full speed and she decides that she needs to empty her bladder. <laughs> uh, you would you would be amazed how much some of that stuff can can stick to your skis, <laughs> and it will it will. <laughs> I don't know what happens the force, but uh, it will it will uh, if it gets under your skis it will send you head over tea kettle and it'll send you in a flying ball of uh, skier fur and brown stuff that you really don't <laughs> want to repeat. Gross. <laughs> so That's yeah, dangerous. if I see her, if I see that starting to happen, I pull over and let her do her. <laughs> no, I had. <laughs> it can be. So yeah, I don't re- recommend oh, trying that. That's the worst. No, that sounds bad. <laughs> Much rather hit a tree. <laughs> yeah. I think a tree would be less painful and would only yeah. last a second rather than the rest of the day with you. Yeah. 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 Um, so you, you also the do the bike, the bike joring too, right? Yeah, we do. We do bike joring and a little bit. Uh, there's not, there's not a lot of mountain biking for me in this neighborhood where I am. So in many places of the country, people go mountain biking. And they attach the, the dog to the, to the bike and they go for a ride. For me, I mostly do running. So I, yeah. I, I use a shorter leash and then I go out running. The only problem with that is I go so slow that the dog gets gets bored. But but she's out there outside running around and that's, that's yeah. 90% of what she cares about. She likes the skiing better because you go faster. It matches her speed very well, yeah. yeah. It gets her up in, those, up in those low 20 mile an hour speeds and... That's that's really what she likes to be at. That's her fun. That is she, pretty she, fast. Twenty miles an hour. Yeah, she's you know she's that's that's kind of what she's built for. She gets she can hold that for uh, you know up to up to six miles depending on how motivated she is. If she's wow. with a pack of dogs, she can go she can go quite a bit further. But to be just one dog, it takes a it takes a very strong mental picture for a dog to do yeah. that. Well, where can people, if somebody is interested in doing it, where can they find out more about it? Uh, there's, you know, if you just go on YouTube and you click Skajor, you'll you'll find a lot of fun videos out there. Some of them are horse videos, some of them are dog videos. Uh, and, you know, I'd encourage anybody, if they've got a dog that's, you know, 30 pounds or more, likes to pull it, even if it's not 30 pounds or more. But if it likes to pull it, it's a leash. It's a dog that probably wants to do Skajoring sports. Um, my sponsor is howlingdog.com and they have a lot of resources on their website regarding the type of harness to get for a dog and a, the bungee material to use for a heather, a tether or a leash. You really don't need a lot of equipment 
There's a, it costs about a hundred dollars to get a set of, of gear. You need a harness so that the dog's not pulling from its neck, but it's instead pulling from its shoulders. And I think that's pretty obvious why that. Yeah. It kind of has a collar on it, uh, similar to what they use for horses. So yeah. 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 Just goes around their shoulders. And there is a and, website too, Skidoring or skidoreusa.org, uh is yes. is where I think I came across you guys. So yeah, uh, yep. is a is a is a great resource. Has a lot of links on there, and uh, so you get you got a harness, you need a bungee tether, tether that's got a bungee on it, and for skidoring we use one that's about nine feet long, and when I go running I use a standard six foot bungee leash, and then you have a belt that goes around your waist and usually has a, a strap to keep it from riding too far up on your waist. And that's, it's, it's really pretty simple equipment. Oh, and you have to know how to ski. Let's just add that to uh, the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally Duh. don't recommend that people start out skiing with the dog unless they're already a good skier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if the dog senses that you don't know how to ski, then the dog's going to be nervous. And you know, If you're nervous being on skis, the dog's going to be nervous. They, as you know with horses, they sense that right away. And, yeah. and so starting off running with your dog is a, is a much better way to start off. And for the first year of my dog's life, we would just go out for walks. And every time we went for a morning walk, we were, I was giving her commands and you know, letting her pull at whatever she was comfortable pulling with and just getting her used to that and then letting her do it. So that was, uh, that was how we got started. And then, then we introduced her to skis very gradually. First, we let her run next to us. Quite a, quite a bit of this is very similar probably to horse training. And you introduce them gradually to it, make sure that they're not frightened. And, and take it one step at a time and try and find a way that's natural and that they enjoy doing. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dallas Johnson. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I wanted to mention drwendyying.com. And that's a place where you sell all kinds of stuff for your pets. That's right. We have um, all kinds of herbal formulas that we talk about on the show. Uh, we have... Um, a formula called Body Sore, which is a very safe and natural formula that helps. Um, like if you're giving your horse anti-inflammatories, you can switch them over to this herbal supplement that that um, can be a little bit safer for them. It has less chance of having stomach ulcers. And we have all different, um, a whole bunch of different other formulas that you can use. Uh, we also have a line of topical products that are herbal and all natural, and they're beeswax and olive oil based. So they are very safe for the horses, and um, and they're good for your skin. You can use them on horses, dogs, and cats, and all your other pets. I've used them on turtles and fish, also. <laughs> now, do you do you um, have stuff for dogs too? Dogs and yeah. horses. Yeah, is for dogs and cats and horses. Some of the things uh, there's only a few topical products that that also have essential oils in it, and for cats we tend to not use essential oils because they can be sensitive to that. But anything without essential oils in it that's just herbs uh, is safe for cats. So it's for all animals. Very good, and that you can find all of those products at drwendyying.com.
Well, Wendy, it is time for the traditional Chinese medicine update. And I know you were out visiting with my co-host, Jamie, from the morning show, who rescued a uh, basset hound named Lucky, who she has since put about $5,000 worth of vet bills into. (laughs) And um, one of the things that this poor basset hound has had everything. I mean, his ears were a mess. When you're a basset hound with, with ears that have that kind of problems, you're in trouble. Every tooth, I think, has been pulled out of his mouth at this point. He was just a mess, but she was kind enough to save him where he was going to be put down. And Aww. she even did a crowdfunding with our listeners at Horses in the Morning and, and raised almost $3,000 for his medical bills. Oh, so wow. it was kind of a family. A lot of the listeners listening right now own a piece of Lucky. Um, but, you know, you were out there and he has a, he still is itchy, right? Yes. And actually, Lucky is a really interesting case because you know, we live in Florida and it's hot and humid. So a lot of the itching that I see in dogs and horses is what we call damp heat because it's like red, scabby, oozy, you know, that's damp heat. But Jamie lives in Arizona. So they see a lot of different things than, than we would see in Florida, right? Because Arizona is super hot and super dry. Um, And so I don't know about you when you go to Arizona, but when I get to Arizona or Colorado or places with low humidity, my nose starts bleeding like immediately when I get off the plane. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's so dry, it affects your mucous membranes. So they have different kinds of problems than we have. In the past, when I've talked about food therapy, We just kind of talk about hot and cold because that's easier to understand Um, because it, you know, I mean, this is like layers of an onion here, right? But in Jamie's case and Lucky's case, they, he had all these heat issues, but it was not damp heat. It was just like, you know, dry heat. So he had the ear infection. He had bad teeth. Like an infection is heat. Um, But then he luckily had medical attention, right? So he was on antibiotics, steroids, you know, had to undergo surgery. I think he had cancer issue, right? Didn't he also have some issue with cancer? Yeah, I think Um, this dog has had everything. (laughs) Yeah, he's had everything. But so then the treatment, while the treatment helps him and makes him better, the treatments also can damage his chi. And your chi is like your life force right? Mm-hmm. But also it damages his blood. And I'm not saying he's anemic, but he has a blood deficiency. So in Chinese medicine, the blood can refer to your white and red blood cells, but it's also like the the liquid part of your bloodstream, right? So your, your lymph and the blood goes to giving you a nice coat, right? So you have nice skin, your skin's not dry. So he's itchy and flaky, but he's not damp. He's not like, I mean, he's smelly, don't get me wrong, but he's not smelly on his skin. Um, So he has a blood deficiency. So Jamie asked me if I would give her some tips about a food therapy for him. So I have, and, and for just in general, I have a general basic diet for dogs So we'll start there. And most dogs are going to have some kind of heat issue anyways because uh, the nature of dog food, right? Dog food is like dry kibble. So it's hot and dry. And then it has, it's usually chicken-based, which is also hot. So 
one of the things I, I try to encourage when my clients begin cooking for their dog is let's start with a neutral base diet. So a neutral diet starts somewhere with like uh, brown rice and either beef or pork, uh, or you can do some ground turkey. And I know, Glenn, I once the first time you were over at the house, Kyle was like, oh, well, let's eat this uh, grass-fed beef. And I said, no, that's for the dogs. And you were like, I was like, what? I don't get grass-fed beef. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, but Tamika has some heat issues. So, but beef and pork is neutral. And then, you know, grass-fed animals tend to be cooler than intensively raised animals. So that's why my Tamika gets grass-fed beef. But so the protein for your dog can be something like that. Chicken is hot. Venison is hot. Lamb is hot. So I always go back and think about how when I was in vet school, I feel like I killed my old lab with Purina lamb and rice because at the time I thought that was the best thing for her, but she had damp heat. I should not have been doing that. Um, so um, if you already cook for your family, you're totally capable of cooking for your dog. Like every day, you don't make sure your family is getting a hundred percent balanced diet. So the key is variety, right? So if you have a variety of foods all throughout the month, you'll probably have a balanced diet. Uh, as long as you're not eating like Twinkies and Ho-Hos every meal, so the base diet would start with like um, pork, beef, or turkey, and add some brown rice. I also like to use quinoa for my base diet. So if you don't like rice, you can add quinoa. Glenn, do you know what quinoa is? Yes, I do. And I, <laughs> I actually eat it. I ha you know okay. what? Quinoa was one of the things when I'm on my strict version of my lime diet that I'm allowed to have. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, because it doesn't have any gluten in it. Right. Yep. Uh, Although one it takes of the forever to cook. Quinoa is just hard to cook. And, you know, the thing is, if you have a little dog, cooking is easy because you don't have to make so much. If you have a big dog, like Lucky's like 45 pounds, right? So it, it can be really expensive. You know, a lot of people these days are doing a grain-free diet. Um, and that can be really expensive for a big dog. And you don't have to go grain free because you could add some rice. That's fine. You don't just want, don't want to use processed grains. That's why the quinoa is fine for the limes diet. Another thing you can do to kind of stretch your, um, protein is to use something like sweet potato or yam because that's really good for their system and it's cheap, right? So, and dogs love it. So maybe if you're going to make a big pot of food for your dog, you do one third protein, like your, your meat, and you can do one third your starch, be it rice, quinoa, uh, sweet potato. Um, I also like to use some carrots, but carrots are a little bit sweet. Um, and then the other third should be vegetable. So the best vegetables for dogs are like green leafy vegetables. And an easy way to get that in your dog is to use some frozen spinach. Because I know like a lot of people say, oh, I don't even get fresh vegetables for myself. Well, 
You can find frozen vegetables in the grocery store and you can just, like I usually brown the meat and then I put in the grains and then I cover that all with water and then I bring it to a boil and get the grains all cooked till they're soft, till you can, you know, taste it and they're soft and cooked. And then you just dump in some frozen vegetables and dogs love spinach they love carrots there's a for the really for my really lazy clients that hate cooking i say get the mixed vegetables they're already even chopped up for you have you seen those glenn yeah 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 yeah, my mom used to make those occasionally we hated them (laughs) as kids i know it's awful but uh you know if you're putting it in with with the meat then it's easy to do it's already chopped and it's in little pieces yeah Green beans And are a great. dog doesn't know they were frozen and, and it was something your grandma used to serve you when she didn't want to cook. No. Right. They don't care that they're like mechanically cut carrots That's and right. little <laughs> tiny cubes. That's they're right. like, this is awesome. So it's bite size. It's good. It's bite size. <laughs> but, you know, like green beans. Green beans are really easy and really nutritious. Um, also in this diet, don't forget salt. So while you're cooking, the way I cook, I don't measure So like I eat a little bit as I go, right? I taste it, but make sure it tastes good. Like, I mean, you don't want to, I, I like a lot of salt in my food. I don't make the dog's food as salty, but in processed dog food, I always say it's sprayed with Dorito powder because it's chemically made to stimulate every single taste bud on your dog's tongue. So people that tell me they have a finicky dog, they won't eat home cooked dog food. I'm like, well, make it taste good. Right. So put a little salt in there. I also always add some turmeric root powder because turmeric root powder is a natural anti-inflammatory. There's tons of information online about that, um, but you can get it off of Amazon. It's in a big uh, like one pound jug and just sprinkle a little turmeric root powder in there. It also makes it taste good. The other 10% of the diet could be something containing um, omega-3 fatty acids and I like to use hard-boiled eggs because I have tons and tons of eggs. Yeah, you've got a lot more eggs than most people. Yeah, so Tamika eats a lot of eggs. But Jamie, she's a chicken person. Yep. So you can either put it into the food. And they're cheap. I mean, even if you're buying them, they're they're cheap. cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times I make up a big thing of hard-boiled eggs. And then when I give... when I give out their food, I'll put in like, my dogs are small, they're only 20 pounds. So I'll give them a half a hard boiled egg with their food. Uh, Another good source of omega threes is flax meal. And one of the things I recommend, and you can find this on my website is the platinum performance canine CJ supplement. It's a flax based supplement. And for the people that are worrying that they're not, their dog's not getting a balanced diet, this supplement will, is like taking, uh, you know, a multivitamin. So even if they're, if the food is not completely balanced, this supplement will then balance it out. And it also has omega threes. Um, if for Jamie's dog who has a skin issue, one of the most important things you can add to that is honey from the local area that you're in. So local honey uh, is really good for allergies because the bees make the honey with the pollens in that area. So it helps you build up an immunity to your local allergens. Um, 
And then for Jamie's in Florida, we don't have a lot of blood deficiency dogs, but for Jamie's case, for Lucky, he has a blood deficiency. So we need to tonify that. And one of the best things to do for that is to add some sardines to the diet. And sardines, I know some people say, I am not feeding my dog sardines because it's smelly. Well, yes, it is smelly, but dogs love that, right? And um, you can get sardines anywhere. I like the sardines packed in, um, in olive oil that you can get at Costco, very affordable. Um, if you don't like sardines, you could add something like um, kidney beans to the diet. That doesn't smell, and that's a tonifier. Also, you can add a little bit more of carrot. And as we said before, that hard-boiled egg is a good way to tonify the blood. One of the other things that you can do, but I don't really like this um, for my dogs because I don't like cooking it, but liver, like calves liver, is awesome to tonify the blood, and the dogs love it. But yeah, for me, I right. hate touching it. Me too. I was with, I'm with you. I actually, my mom used to make us liver all the time. I know. I remember you saying that. The only way I me, could eat I liver. I like I'm doing a necropsy every time I'm doing it. <laughs> the only like, way Ugh. I could eat it is if she could, she'd make bacon first. And then it, a lot of p- people in the old days used to cook the liver in the bacon fat. Like it yeah. wasn't bad enough for you. Or I guess liver is probably good for you. But I know. It's getting it down. That's the hard part. <laughs> 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 so um so i have more information on the website and i do have a recipe if you want the recipe for the base diet that i did um one of my clients made me measure out some stuff one day when i was cooking but one of the biggest things i can i want to stress is that you shouldn't be afraid to cook for your dog you know they try to make you feel guilty about that but you're you know, you've been doing fine cooking for yourself. You haven't killed your kids yet cooking <laughs> homemade meals for your kids. So why should you be afraid to feed your dogs? I think I think right? it's partly time and and also cost. I think, you know, it's so cheap to buy dog food compared to cooking for your dogs and I think that don't you think that also is a big factor? Well, I think I think if your dog can eat Old Roy from Walmart, then yeah, it is cheaper. But I see a lot of people these days buying like this high-end, grain-free, taste of the wild, blah, blah, blah. That's expensive dog food. Yeah, You, you know, at the that, end of the day, it might be cheaper to, to do home-cooked meals, and then you know what's in it. And you do, you do clinics now with dogs, and I'm sure because you're doing a lot of those probably at pet, at pet stores, um, yeah. you see what people are walking out with. And it's it's probably a little bit of everything, but I, I agree. I think more people are going for the more high-end ones. And it's so funny because what have all the recalls been on the high-end ones? <laughs> it's like, I know. And yeah. you know what? A lot of times I'm set up next to all this high-end dog food. So I see how, I mean, it is really pricey. And people will go, Oh, you'll well, spend, what, $40 for a bag. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they ask me, like, well, what do you recommend? Because the dogs will be like, They'll say, I'm on Taste of the Wild, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And their dog's still itchy, and they're like, what food should I change to? And I'm just like, first of all, I can't get into this whole cooking for your dog in five minutes at the pet store, right? Right. But second of all, I can't tell them, well, cook at home. Don't buy this expensive dog food. Right, because you're in the pet store. People are like, get out. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> But I do always say, like, even so, if you don't want to cook for your dog, you don't have to, okay? But 
one of the ways to get into it or have a good compromise is to do like a topper. So you can do the taste of the wild, but you could top it with a hard boiled egg or top it with a little bit of sardine or some green beans. Or instead of giving them pepperonis for a treat, you could give them like uh, a little carrot, baby carrots or green beans or apples. Tamika uh, would prefer the pepperoni and I've spoiled her. So she only eats, you know, Tamika doesn't eat like raw vegetables. That's for horses. But a lot of dogs will eat raw vegetables and it's really good for them. And of course, you can find Dr. Wendy at drwendying.com. You can find her website with all of her goodies over there, including the complete store. And now it's time for our Chinese medicine update. We have to just start calling it the veterinary medicine update because sometimes it's going to be Chinese and sometimes not. So it's our veterinary medicine update with a slant to Chinese. (laughs) Um, So today we're definitely slanting. I'm offended. (laughs) I'm offended by your racial slurs. (laughs) Well, you are only half Chinese, so you're slanted Chinese too, actually, if you think about it. Um, So, okay, I just got what my racial slur was, and I didn't even get that when I said it, so I'm sorry. So, Doug English is going to be joining us. He's a a veterinarian down in Australia. Tell us why, Doug. Well, in my practice, um, you know, I use herbs a lot, and turmeric is also the active ingredient is curcumin, but turmeric is in a lot of our veterinary herbal formulas, so I use that a lot, but also... um, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about just turmeric root powder and how you can use that for different health conditions. And, you know, herbal formulas aren't cheap. And sometimes I have people on a budget or they have like older dogs and they just, you know, getting them to spend a lot of money on older farm dogs is difficult. Um, But turmeric is really cheap and is really easy to feed and it covers a lot of health conditions. So in my practice, I refer a lot of my clients to Doug English's uh, webpage, which is Turmeric Life, and also to his Turmeric Users Group on Facebook. It has a really strong community of people who have used turmeric on themselves and on their animals with very good results. And we use turmeric. Um, it has anti-inflammatory effects. It also has some um, pain relieving effects and it also can help boost your immune system. In my formulas for, in my Chinese medicine formulas, we usually use it for, um, cases that have heat. So those would be like infections or, um, like, uh, irritable bowel disease or foal diarrhea, like viral diarrhea that has turmeric as the main ingredient in there. But in my practice, mostly I, I recommend it for itchy skin or arthritis. And anybody that has a dog knows that the top two things you have wrong with your dog is itchy skin and arthritis, right? I mean, your dog's kind of, that's true. Yes. uh, my pony, same your way. Dog, <laughs> your pony, but your dog never gets itchy skin or arthritis. But another thing, it also has been shown to have anti-cancer activity. So think about that. I mean, dogs with cancer, 
that is, those are the big three, right? So in my practice, I, I recommend that for like almost all my dog cases and it has very little side effects. Uh, another thing is for the horses, we are living in Florida and we're getting into Swedish season, right? So, and this, your pony does suffer from Swedish, doesn't he? Yes, that is true. And there are multiple things you can do that, that may or may not work and may cost you a ton of money. But, um, Turmeric is really good to help control that and is very affordable for horse people to feed every day. So, uh, although I don't want to go through how to use turmeric every time, if I had to go say all this, how to use it, what is good for blah, blah, blah to every client, every time I go to see them, I would be like an extra 45 minutes per visit. (laughs) And Kyle is not going to put up with that, that our (laughs) schedule does not support that. So what I found is it's really easy um, to actually one of my own clients told me about Doug on Facebook. And so now his information is so easy to follow and is has really good science behind it that I just refer people to that website so they can look it over, see if that's right for them. Then they can come back to me and say, how do we incorporate this into our, our health protocol? Do you have any other questions, Glenn? Nope. Let's get to it. So I'm very excited to have Doug English join us from Turmeric Life. Well, hey, Doug, welcome to the Driving Radio Show. I am so happy you can join us today because I love turmeric and I use it in my practice every day. Good job, Wendy. I like it too. Works, doesn't it? It really works. And what I like about it is it's really affordable for the clients because many of the treatments we do and the herbal formulas I have, maybe the clients just really can't afford that. And this is something that's easy to do. It's food therapy and they can um, make it at home. So I really love turmeric. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started on this and how you started to integrate turmeric into your practice? Well, I've always been a foodie and an exercise maniac and I've always researched food and I've always tried to live the best I can. And I've been using turmeric off and on for years and years. I didn't realize how effective it was until I started to read a little bit more and then I started to try it first on itchy dogs and then itchy horses and I got these wonderful results. And then people would say to me, well, how do we know that it works on horses? There's no data around. And I said, well, no, there's not, but I know it works. Why don't we start this Facebook group? One of my nurses, Tegan, suggested that. And we'll collect the data and then we'll have our own anecdotes that we can refer back to. So my hope was to get a few hundred and then that would be fairly significant and then I could refer people back to them. And um, it's grown like topsy from that. Very quickly got to a thousand, then twenty thousand, then fifty thousand, and we're up to two hundred and forty something thousand active members now. And uh, all these anecdotes have just come out, and I tracked down, for instance, there's several now where ancient chickens have, haven't been laying for several years, and they've been kept as pets, and they've come back into the lay. Oh and wow! Thinking, oh, holy hell, what's going on here? And uh, so researching it, I've found out that it is uh, incre- does increase fertility. And uh, I've got uh, bitches who have had weak puppies and only very small litters uh, all of a sudden have producing um, eight or nine healthy puppies in, in a litter. Mm-hmm. And uh, barren mares, 
And I've even got one uh, client who's become a friend and he's been in a, in a relationship for 20-odd years. They're both in their late 40s and they're both supposed to be in third oil. Uh, she's three months pregnant now. Wow. <laughs> was a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think what I really love about the Facebook group is that you and I are, you know, vets in private practice. So doing research for us is very difficult. We don't have like grants, these huge grants and laboratories and all these students that work for us for free, right? So when we collect case studies, that's us going out and and doing that with the clients we see. So we have a very limited number of, of clients. And to the scientific community, sometimes they, you know, look down on food therapy or anecdotal evidence. But here you have 200,000 people who are telling you, I did this, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. So it really helps you to forward your research in a, in a way that is kind of novel and unique. Exactly. And, and people, well, scientists poo-poo anecdotal evidence, but that might be if you only got one or two, but we've got thousands of positive anecdotes here now, and when you've got thousands, that becomes fairly significant. Mm-hmm. There's nothing negative other than the fact that, oh, I didn't work occasionally, and that's not very often, or mm-hmm. if they get diarrhea or they vomit a bit. But basically it's positive anecdote after positive anecdote, and they outnumber the negatives by... 50 to 1, I would say. Yeah, and I like that too. I mean, that's what I was drawn to about Chinese medicine in the beginning is that there's very limited side effects. Whereas when we're using things like, I mean, that you started using turmeric for um, itchy dogs and itchy horses, and we know that the cheapest and most common way of treating it is with steroids. But steroids have horrible side effects. I hate using steroids in the practice. So it's really great that you have developed a way to use turmeric because now you can feel confident telling your clients, we'll use this, it works, and is safe. Well, if I've got all those anecdotes proving that it works, I can say, yeah, and I'm very, I very confidently can recommend it because uh, it works and we know it works now. And so tell us a little bit about um, your research and what you're doing with, uh, with growing your own turmeric. Well, research-wise, we need more money to do stuff. I've just um, had one done by a master's student at Charles Sturt University into gastric ulceration in horses, and they only had 10, um, and it was fairly positive, and the indications are that it works fairly well. We just need to do a bigger, more comprehensive uh, survey experiment. I need to generate some funds for that because I haven't even generated the funds to pay the master's survey yet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Growing it. Um, it's easy to grow. It gets no diseases. It just needs a bit of water and you've got to keep the weeds out of it, I suppose. But this year, uh, I haven't bothered to keep the weeds out of it. I'm seeing how because I haven't had time uh, and it seems to be growing just as well. And how does, can somebody grow this at home? Like, can you buy a little bit of turmeric root at the store and just plant it in a pot? Will that work? Yeah, it's it's not a root, it's a rhizome, but everybody seems to call it a root. But okay, Um, It'll grow, provided you keep it moist. Um, I think in the soil is better because it's then it's not subject to the um, temperature variations and drying that happens quickly in a pot. Um, mm-hmm. It grows better in, in the soil and it grows quite easily. As long as you're in a tropical, subtropical environment, 
and keep it out of um, winds and stuff like that. It will really, even if you do have a bad situation, it will grow, but it mightn't produce it anywhere near as much, but it's pretty tough. Yeah. And so if somebody wants to use the root versus the powder that they buy at the store, how, how do you do that? You have to cook it because a lot of people try to make a smoothie out of it, but it's uh, like a lot of people don't realize that carrots and tomatoes, the polyphenol things like leukopenes and carotenoids in those aren't particularly digestible unless you cook them. And the same with turmeric. The curcuminoids are not particularly digestible unless you cook them. So basically if you cut it or grate it into a stew and boil it up, that's the way to use it. Uh, If you want to make your own powder, it's made up by boiling up rhizomes and cutting and drying them and then grinding them. Oh, okay. So the powder is cooked. The the rhizomes are cooked and then dried and then ground. Yep, Yep. that's exactly right. Okay, so if somebody wanted to use turmeric in their pet's health, how do they get started? What's the first step? Well, if you're talking about a dog, um, basically you're better off to make golden paste out of the uh, powder, mm-hmm. which is one part powder, two parts water. Simmer it for about 10 minutes. If, if it gets too thick, uh, then you add a bit of water. Uh, if it's too thin, well, you can put a bit more turmeric powder into it. Uh, at the end of it, you put in, if you've got half a cup, put in about three teaspoons of fresh cracked black pepper, which is Piper nigrum, and uh, mix it up. And a lot of people want to mix up an oil like coconut oil with it then so it's like the whole thing because it does need oil to be absorbed properly because it's a fat-soluble uh, compound and mm-hmm. it won't be absorbed un- unless you have the fat around it. So that's why the fat's added. Um, most dog foods or foods have fat anyway and you can add the golden paste into that. The pepper is used because it, apart from preserving it if you store it for a while, it actually facilitates the absorption, but the most important thing, it stops the excretion of it because it, curcuminoids are absorbed very poorly, and if they are absorbed, they're excreted quite rapidly, so that only has a transient effect, and that's the idea of using the pepper, so the effect is um, longer-lasting, and you can extend that for six or eight hours. Some evidence emerging that the capsations in chilies also uh, extend the uh, absorption of it. Oh, really? In the metabolism, yeah. I'm researching that at the moment. And so what would um, what conditions is turmeric good for? What, would, what do you recommend it for besides the itchy skin and well, things you, like you that? Well, you have the atopic dermatitis, uh, immune system stimulation. Um, it's very good for sarcoids in horses as an anti-cancer treatment. Uh, diabetic dogs uh, can reduce their insulin dose and also diabetic humans. Um it seems to be pretty good when you have hypothyroidism in dogs with, with reduced because you, you monitor those all the time. Um, we're finding that the uh, the actual drugs, thyroxine, can be reduced. And arthritis, do you use it for arthritis? Arthritis, I was going to mention that. It was on the tip of my tongue. Very, very good for arthritis and mobility and energy levels in these dogs. And sometimes the dogs are very, very crippled and there's numerous videos of them kicking their heels up and running around and acting quite normally. And every day there's two, three, four stories about an arthritic dog that could hardly walk before um, enjoying life to the full. Now, is it is it something that you just use all the time as needed or you just... Give it as part yeah. of the daily feed. 
it's part, even if you're not unwell, it, it, it increases health, it supports the immune system. I take it all the time. Um, it's something that you can have all the time and you can vary the dose. You have a little dose, a big dose, depending on what's going on. Um, I find that my energy level dr drops if I don't have it for a couple of days. Um, when I'm on it, it, it's really, really beneficial. Athletically, it's really good too. I've got a racehorse trainer who is the leading regional trainer in Queensland now, and all his horses are on it. 99 what, winners last season. What quantity, let's say for a dog, obviously they're smaller, much smaller than horses. So let's start with dogs. What quantity for a dog? You you, you said you make the paste out of the powder, but then yeah, how, is it a teaspoon or is it what? what is it? With a dog, and of course they vary in size a bit, uh, you'll get effects from a, a fifth or a quarter of a teaspoon, quite oh. a good effect. Uh, a lot of dogs at about the standard uh, 15, 20 kilo range uh, get a teaspoon two or three times a day. Uh, you can give a bigger dog two teaspoons and uh, it's you just figure out, you, if you start off too fast with some dogs, not all, they, it gives them diarrhoea and that's because their gut microbiome isn't uh, adapted to it. Once they're adapted, once you've got the gut bugs adapted to it, away you go. Okay, and horses? Uh, horses, we started off feeding horses a cupful. <laughs> okay. And then we quickly realized that you didn't need that much. You'll get a good effect on a horse with a teaspoon. But basically, I reckon, but the other thing about horses is being a herbivore with the uh, hind gut digestion, um, they digest it a lot better than we monogastrics, and I don't think you need to make golden paste, although there is some evidence that golden paste might work a bit better. But basically, it's a bit hard if you've got to cart it out to a horse's paddock. And I'm finding really good results by standard dessert spoon twice a day in the feed. Works very well. So just of you, just the dry just powder. The dry, okay. dry powder, yeah. Oh, that's and great to know. Cattle and, cattle and sheep with the rumen, uh, they absorb it very, very well too. Yeah, that's really great to know because I have some equine clients that do make the paste. But you're right, and especially in Florida, you have to keep it in the refrigerator, and then you have to, you know, cart it out. We had a, a, a fascinating effect up there because I did some work with a crocodile farm up in North Queensland, and uh, they rear them for their skins, of course. And uh, it's quite easy to do an experiment with them because when they're about two foot, they have to separate them because they fight all the time. So they separated in little individual pens, and uh, they had a row of 19 10 rows of 19 pens. So it was pretty easy to put the 19 crocs on turmeric. And what we did with uh, them, we used te two teaspoons of powder into their vitamin mix that's mixed into um, chicken heads. That's what they feed them. And uh, <laughs> they get two buckets of chicken heads, divide them. <laughs> Yum. Nineteen <laughs> crocs every second day. So it's not a lot of turmeric. Right. The 19 crocs that had turmeric reached their marketable size, which was six foot, in four months instead of six months. Huh. And the whole 19 university did that. And uh, they used for handbags and they're graded by Gucci and Gucci accepted 90% of those hides for their handbags, whereas the average is only 60%. It's really good for skin. Yeah, and you know we're in South Florida, so skin is our major issue. We have it's skin, and then arthritis, and then cancer. <laughs> so you know, turmeric is great for me. 
another factor of discovered it being a very, very uh, potent antioxidant. It mops up all those free radicals from radiation, mm. including sunburn. And I've been sunburned badly a couple of times, and I've whipped home and I've given myself a quick fix. Two teaspoons of turmeric powder in a mug, boil the water up, third fill the mug, pour it in, mix it, grinds of pepper, coconut oil, top it up with milk and scallop, and sunburn goes in about 20 minutes. Believe that. Oh, wow. That's great. That's good to know. Mm. Hey, um, also... Doug, since you have used it yourself and in people, I'm not saying that you're giving medical advice, but um, Glenn suffers from chronic Lyme's disease. And yep. don't you think that turmeric could be really helpful for him in his everyday life? It is, because Liz Wallace, um, one of our administrators, also has the same problem. And uh, she uses um, a little bit of extra curcumin added to the golden paste, but it, it keeps her going all right. Um You've tried doxycycline, of course. Oh yeah, that was that was fifteen years ago. We did a whole year of that. Uh, yeah, doxycycline seems to be uh, synergistic with um, the turmeric cucurbitoids. That's what I've noticed. So if you have a, yeah, so if you have a flare up in the future and they put you back on doxycycline, you could add the turmeric, and then maybe that will help help yeah, you. I've seen. Sick dogs on doxycycline. I use a lot of doxycycline um, on sick dogs, particularly for leptospirosis and that, um, respond quite rapidly if they're on turmeric. And now you also have a new product. You have these turmeric bars. Tell us about that. Tugo bars, yeah. Well, obviously a lot of people complaining about having to make the um, golden paste that's messy. They can't take it around. And I've experimented by... Uh, combining uh, a few things like linseeds and kia and cacao and other things, and I've found that it's absorbed really effectively and better than the golden paste, actually. It has, and you can cut it around. You can cut a little bit off, cut it around, and uh, that's what I live on. I probably miss two meals a day, and I just have three or four little finger bits of um, two-go bars because they've got good protein in them. They, they taste all right. Some people don't like them, but most people do. And uh, they're going off because they're really, really effective. Right. So you can just um, like take them with you or it's great for travel if you're traveling yeah. or shows, yeah. whatnot. Yep. yep. They're easy to cut about and uh, they're quite palatable. And uh, if you're in a hurry, they're a whole meal because the protein is pretty good. I think they work better because they stimulate your gut biota to take mm -hmm. in nutrients. I, I think that's because of the lignans in the linseed do that. And do you sell them um, online, or how does how do, can people get these? We sell them online, um, and the postage is a bit of a problem to America at the moment, but we're trying to get some bulk shipping over there to make it a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, it's been hard to start up. I've sort of cashed in my superannuation trying to get it all organised and licences and stuff like that, and I've spent it now, so we we really hang on a limb. We've got to keep swimming, otherwise we're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna do it and what do you think what what's um what's in the future for you you kind of uh led up to that saying how you're expanding with the with the bars and all that but what do you envision for the future of your company i'd like to grow it properly i'd like to produce a good quality powder i'd like to produce good quality products that help people and uh, help animals and uh, we need our own production facility for a dog one and then we're away once we do that 
but getting it all together costs a fair bit of money and we've run out several times we're sort of but at the moment we're on a roll um i've got a, a friend of my son's now who's in a owns a big marketing group and he's had a look at it and he's actually a champion bodybuilder and he's had a go with it and he thinks oh wow um this is really good will it'll take off so he's going to push the marketing of it now and i'm not a very good marketer i talk a bit but I don't. I'm not, I don't like marketing myself. I feel, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. But Adam, my son, is a marketer, and uh, I got to rein him in a bit because he. I don't. I don't like the stuff he says sometimes. He's emphasising his sweet <laughs> sultanas at the moment. And I hate that word sweet because I'm really, really much anti-sugar. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I think it's a. I think it's a great idea, great product, and I. I have to thank you so much because you've helped me so much in my practice and and helped my clients with all this information you're putting out. And it's not easy because, you know, pharmaceutical companies have way more money than we do and they don't want a solution like this for our animals and people. So. (laughs) Well, I'd rather sell you a tablet. I know that. That's for sure. But yeah, this cheap, effective and it works. That's right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm sure all our listeners will be joining your turmeric users group in the future and come back and talk with us anytime. Okay, Wendy. Lovely to talk to you. We'll catch you again. All right. So let's get down to that. That was so interesting because I didn't know any of that. So, And I'm thinking about my pony and I'm thinking about me with Lyme disease and my pony. And my dog's not getting any younger either. So... um, And you're going to have to start having issues. So my question is, you buy this in powder form, and I now they also have all over the place the they have pills that are the curcumin, the turmeric root powder, and curcumin. Yeah, is curcumin just another name for turmeric powder? Yeah. Okay. Yep. (coughs) So now it comes in tablets. Turmeric is the plant. Turmeric is the plant. What's curcumin? Curcumin is the scientific name. And also, it's the name of the active ingredient. Ah. So when you see those curcumin pills or yes. the turmeric pills, and I they'll say those. X amount of X milligrams of curcumin, yes. curcumin is the active ingredient. But the reason why we like the whole root powder is because just because they've isolated curcumin as an active ingredient reason why we like whole foods is maybe there's all these phytonutrients in turmeric that they haven't isolated that also help with absorption and inflammation, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's why we think it's better to use the whole root. Okay. And, um, so, and as Doug said, if you do the whole root, you have to cook it and then it's dried and then it's ground. So there's a lot of processing involved. So you, if you're going to use the powder, you're better off just buying the powder already made. All right. So if I come to you, do you sell it, the powder, by the way? We do. We sell the powder and we also sell a golden paste. The golden paste oh, that's is what you guys were powder. About. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and as Doug said, they're finding that y- with horses, you could just use the dry powder. Kind of as a feed throw, just pour it on top of the feed. Yeah. Correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you just put it on the feed and you don't need a ton. Like with horse medicine, we always think, oh, I need 15 times the dose a person takes. Well, that that's not necessarily true because, because they're herbivores, they tend to absorb curcumin that, or the turmeric powder 
better than we do as simple stomach animals. So like a dog and cat and we as people, we don't ruminate, we don't process hay. So we think that those animals that are, are uh, like horses and cows can absorb more of the curcumin. So that's why they need less. So with a horse, you could probably start out at like, you know, a tablespoon and see how it goes. If that control. So as little as a tablespoon. Yeah. Yeah. And so with all foods, you know, you want to titrate it, right? So if a tablespoon works great, then you can get away with only doing a tablespoon a day. And then over time, you want to see if you can do less and less. But if a tablespoon's not working, then maybe you need to bump it up a little bit or give a tablespoon twice a day. Okay. Now, how you know? about people? Do uh, do the kind you're so okay for people? It's all the same stuff? It is all the same stuff, but I'm a veterinarian. So yeah. if you buy medicine, not medicine, but if you buy a herbs. herbal formula yeah. from me and you take it yourself, it, I didn't diagnose that. Got it. You're doing it off-label. But you want to know something else that's fun about turmeric? Yes. You know how uh, the reason why we make the golden paste is it's not soluble in water, right? So we boil it down and then put it in um, some coconut oil. And then when you eat the paste, it's, it's more absorbable because it's in an in a oil form. But it's also alcohol-soluble. So you could put it in a Bloody Mary. You could put it in a margarita. <laughs> You can make all kinds of yummy drinks. Why does that sound wrong? Why does that sound so wrong? It sounds great because if you have arthritis (laughs) and your knees hurt, you can take a Bloody Mary, turmeric Bloody Mary, and you'll feel great. (laughs) Why does that sound so wrong? Uh. I think it sounds great. Okay, so I can't drink. So how would I take my turmeric powder as a human? Well, you're going to have to take it in a paste. You could take it in the golden paste. And some people actually use it. Do you drink milk? Uh, yep. Um, some people take some of the golden paste and they put it in warm milk. They drink it like that. I personally, I don't, I don't drink milk. Yeah. That's not sounding great to me. <laughs> but if you put it in the milk and honey with some turmeric, it'd be good. But now the, the, the humans need to take the paste and not just the powder. Yeah, you'd be better off taking the paste. Or you could put the powder in some of your food. Like you could make a curry or something, and there's turmeric in that. Got it. Okay. And, you know, Doug um, is making these bars. Remember he was talking about the power bars? Yes. So there are these little bars that he's making. They're like soft, chewy bars, um, and you just break off a piece, and there's a lot of fruits and nuts in there. It's gluten-free, so that would be good for you. Now, what about and the pills? Take, I know they sell pills, too, for humans. Yeah, and the pills, really, they have such a high level of curcumin that you can actually damage your liver with that amount. Like, they'll say 95% pure curcumin. I know. I was well, looking, and, and some of them say 100%. Um, and I was well, looking, and... We they, don't really need that much. You know, you don't need that much curcumin. That. Really, a, tu- a turmeric root has about three to five percent curcumin in the whole grand scheme of things. You know, in the whole uh, root. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So, All it's right. food therapy. So remember, food therapy is a gentle way to support and balance your body. So that's why the pills. It, it kind of goes against um, 
the theory on how you're going to do this long term for health. And where can people buy the ones for their horses or doggies from you? They can get it at drwendyying.com. drwendyying.com.